Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. It turns out the deadliest marshmallow is... Oh, this is so unprofessional. To leave my ringer on during a broadcast? Hey, let's see what's so important. Hello? Sorry, listeners. I just get so mad about my car's extended warranty. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Ring, ring, constant readers. I just decided I have a character. You wanted, to, you wanted a bit right off the top. I yeah. liked the ring, ring, but why'd you go constant readers like that? I, I don't know. <laughs> Calling all constant readers. <laughs> Calling all constant readers. It's me, the Dairy Public Radio creep. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, I didn't know we had a, a spokes character. <laughs> this is the radio's mascot. Uh, oh, the radio no. station's mascot. I don't like it. And today we are diving into our Patreon selection series with our new selection brought to us by Phil Thiessen, where we are reading Cell. And we are covering through the chapter Gaten Academy. And we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Yeah. <laughs> this episode's yeah. already off the rails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely appropriate to this absolutely bonkers book. Okay, before we begin, yes, I have a question for you guys that I think will really set the tone for this episode. Uh, oh no, <laughs> you'll get that on the way home. No, I got it, and that's why I groaned. Ah. Okay. Ben, <laughs> how did the mobile phone propose to his girlfriend? God damn it! Hold on, don't tell me. Uh, he put a ring on it. He gave her a ring. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, there it is. That's better worded. I knew my puns would get a bad reception. <laughs> okay, let's move on before I get hung up on puns. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, ben, I see pain in our horizons. <laughs> <sighs> what is that? Crickets? Is it, Cricket is, mobile. Oh my god. That one is unacceptable. (laughs) And sponsor of the episode, Cricket. (laughs) Use promo code Ring Ring Constant Readers. (laughs) Alexander Graham Bell. Let's move on. We open with our narrator, Clayton Rydell. Riddle? (laughs) Rydell. Yeah, Rydell. Okay. Because somebody calls him Riddle and he corrects them. Mm. He's in Boston getting a sweet deal to sell his comic books. In addition to learning that he is an artist who created the Dark Tower series. Yes. Obviously. Called the Dark Wanderer. In a uh, universe, in a different level of the tower where the Dark Tower has way dumber names for everyone. (laughs) Was it Flack the Wizard? Uh, I I I think one was called Lazy Gary or something (laughs) like that. That is Rick and Morty. Or Sleepy Gary. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. okay. Uh, Wizard Flack, Sleepy Jean. <laughs> Jumping Jack Flash, Poison Sally, and the Dark Wanderer. We also find out that he is separated from his wife, and they have a twelve-year-old son. Sharon and his wife is his wife, and Johnny is his son. So I think the opening of this book actually is pretty cool. This for our episode was this was the first time that I investigated Cell. 
So Clay is having the most awesome day, the day you would want to have if if you were an artist. He got a publishing deal. He picked up a gift for his wife that's supposed to be this symbol, this meaningful symbol of yeah. their reconciliation. The, the fantastic gift of a shitty gift store paper. <laughs> but it's very like Shannon. Sharon? Am I calling her Shannon? It doesn't matter. Anyway, it's, I think she it's is, Sharon. I think it's Sharon. <laughs> She's not so much a character as a motivation. Yeah. Kind of, which we'll get to. Anyway, yes. so he's he's in the Boston Common and he's waiting to get an ice cream cone because he's like, I, I got this comic deal. I got her a gift. I picked up a cool comic for Johnny that he's going to love. I deserve an ice cream. Makes sense. And all hell breaks out just around him. Everything starts to fall apart at once in an event that we eventually come to know as the Pulse. So this is how this book kicks off. King really dials it up quickly. This is going to happen all episode. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys think of this for our opening? I love the beginning of this book. I think any book that starts on a normal day and society has fallen by page 20. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good start. That is pretty rad. I like that this wild melee happens around him and he's virtually untouched for what in real time happened in a matter of a minute or two. But book wise, because he's so dialed in, his senses are so heightened, he's taking it all in, and mm -hmm. it's just sheer madness. And we have the benefit of how he sees the world because mm -hmm. he's a comic book writer and artist, and so he frequently gives this cool artistic lens to what's happening around him. He, he notices all the, like, small details that mm -hmm. King loves to put into shit, mm -hmm. and so it, it adds to his character and the way he sees stuff. It's really cool. I'd like to read off the body count that we get. And I could be missing some because there is a lot. That's just yes. cool to And then if you guys have one, I just want you to describe in a little more detail your favorite moment. Societal of, of collapse. Yeah. <laughs> so we have the dog's ear, the man in the suit, probably. Duck boats full of people. Definitely the guy drinking from Duck Shit Pond. Power suit lady. And these are kings. Well, some of them are mine, but these are, you'll tell which ones are kings. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely <laughs> tell. Power suit lady's dog, pixies light and dark, knife guy, people jumping out of windows, and people getting crushed by the people jumping out of windows, ice cream truck guy. I forgot about the cop that gets yeah. hit by a dude. Yeah. Uh, this, this whole opening, I loved it, but it kept reminding me of uh, the, the movie The Happening. Which also that. took place in Boston um, <laughs> and begins with just a series of a bunch of people killing themselves in really over-the-top stupid ways. It's a terrible movie. But, uh, <laughs> Is it before or after Cell? I don't know. It's M. Night Shyamalan, so yeah, who cares? Yeah, I've heard terrible things about it's it. It's not good. <laughs> but uh, I, I just kept thinking of the weird parallels. Uh, but the other thing I kept thinking through the beginning of this book and I kept it in the back of my mind the whole way through this first half. And I want to see what you guys think. I think this book is a comedy. Hmm. I feel that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I And all of those deaths, they're, first of all, all very good. Because they all happen very quickly. Mm -hmm. And they're fucking grisly. Yeah, a guy, the first thing he sees other than this young girl ripping a woman's throat out is a dude 
in a park across the street, literally ripping a dog's ear off with uh, his, bare his bare teeth. Which, man, King loves dog violence. I know. <laughs> every book. Every yeah, book. It's... But throughout all of these, the escalation of all of these violence, there keeps being these moments that when you imagine them playing out on a screen, like I'm imagining it as a movie, I'm like, that scene would be fucking hilarious. During all of this, Clay is eventually runs across this this man who runs across the street to help him. A uh, man named Tom. It's, uh, he's what? Described as like kind of a short, scrawny yeah, a guy beard. with a mustache. And we quickly, it's super obvious that he's a gay man. Mm-hmm. And he's just really rad. And yeah, like, Tom's kick-ass. Uh, immediately helping out. But when he runs up, there's this guy that attacked Clay with a knife. And they're standing in the middle of the street for a really long yeah. time. Yeah. And this guy with the knife is on the ground, and they're like, what do we do? Oh, my God, that crazy thing is happening. And the whole time, this guy's trying to stand up, and they keep just casually kicking him over. (laughs) And he falls down and scrabbles around, then tries to get up again, and they kick him. I'm like, that's hilarious. I loved that. It's a slapstick bit. (laughs) And there are so many moments like that that even the, like, big, over-the-top, violent moments, Mm -hmm. I'm like directed the right way, this could be a really funny movie. Well, that guy with the knife, there's even the the cop runs up, draws his gun, and he's like, he says something to him, the guy responds with gibberish, and then he just blows his head off, and he's like, we're taking him oh, out. Did, <laughs> sorry, that, okay, did the gibberish make you guys think of Desperation? I've not read Desperation. Oh, God, I love Desperation. Yeah, I, I when I first heard that, I thought that Tack had found like a really interesting, cool way to escape the innie. And I mean, this was happening. It's like, oh, this is connected to desperation. It very easily could be. Well, like, we're like, never yeah. given. It's another reason I love this book is that, spoiler alert, in this first half, we're never given a reason <laughs> why this happens. No, <laughs> and, and we, yeah, okay. I'm just <laughs> we'll save that. It reminds me of a few things. The Stand, Light, mm, sure. I Am Legend by mm-hmm. Richard Madison. Yep. And, and I won't say why, because somehow a lot of people have not read that, and they should. Mm-hmm. And so I do not want to spoil anything. And the hive mind stuff just, of course, made me think of the Borg from Star Trek. Uh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, personally, I thought of the Geth, but same, yeah. same difference. <laughs> Geth rule. I think my, my favorite, though, out of that melee is the... Uh, out of the subway tunnel, the 60-year-old woman who beats the shit out of, like, three <laughs> other guys and throws their dead bodies down the stairs. Exactly. Hilarious. It's another moment of, like, if you see that on screen, and they're just, like, literally across the street being like, huh, <laughs> that's crazy. Did you have a favorite, Sam? I had a guess for what might be your favorite. What do you think is my favorite? The naked man <laughs> ripping bumpers off of cars and swinging them wildly. No, not, they weren't bumpers. They were aerials. They were like car aerial antennas, right? Oh, I, so I completely misread that. Not threatening <laughs> at all. Actually, Josh, you're right. I did really like that part because I'm like, finally, something for the ladies. There's an almost description about his dick. <laughs> yes, that it's quite. flapping around. It, yeah. The I, yeah, it, it's not perfect. We're, we're still getting the shaft. You're fucking on a roll <laughs> yeah, this episode, on DM. Fire. <laughs> Jesus. Another thing I thought of, 
I'm very nostalgic for 80s riffs, like VHS stuff. All of that kind of trips that thing in my mind for me. Cell phones are not on that list. And I (laughs) I want to address this right at the top or at least a couple minutes in, because I think that could be a potential issue with the enjoyment of this book, possibly. So I had a cell phone Mm. in 2006, and I was trying really hard to remember what was that like? What were phones like? So I had to look it up. And this is what I've learned. We're dealing right now exclusively, almost exclusively with flip phones Mm -hmm. or the side slide phones. BlackBerry, really taking off, really popular. And about half of the world's cell phones had cameras in them. Yep. Because it's it, it's this book is very technophobic and it seems ridiculous <laughs> reading yes. it right now. Yes. So I was trying to to remember what that was like to be fair to the book. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. at any time Clay's like, oh, power suit woman would a woman like that never leaves home without her phone, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one does. Yeah. yeah. No, I I the whole time, and I think it added to why I found the book so funny. Yeah, is because the book, if you take what the book is trying to say, basically, it is the most boomer shit <laughs> in the world. <laughs> because the message of the book is the fucking boomer comic of the kids are always looking at their cell phones. That's the whole book <laughs> taken to these kids are looking at their cell phones so much you're going to turn into zombies. It's hilarious. Yeah. If you try and think of it in a way of, like, someone trying to spoof that idea, it's very funny. It's ironic, too, because studies have shown that baby boomers are actually the ones on their cell phones more than millennials. Yeah, it's it's so outdated. <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of like your pitch that this could be a comedy, because I kept having to reset my brain every time he was like, mm, oh, those dastardly cell phones, <laughs> machines of mystery. You have to take yourself back in that time, because if you tried to make this current... Everybody the, would be dead. Well, the, no, the ki- the kids, <laughs> the, the pixie light and dark... Would never have gotten... No, they wouldn't. They, they, they would would have everybody would be texting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd, they'd be like, "Oh, this person's calling me." Ew! I absolutely it. am one. Why are you calling me, Grandma? I am one thousand percent immune to the pulse. I will never answer my phone, and you cannot make me. I feel so silly for not even thinking about that because I. I gave, this is terrible, I gave my mom shit for leaving me voicemails that was like, hey, it's me, give me a call. I'm like, your missed call told me that. You don't have to tell me that. (laughs) Okay. So fortunately for Clay, he does not own a cell phone. He's holding out. He probably has one by now. He probably doesn't watch TV either. (laughs) Fucking (laughs) pedant. So he, Ben, as you said, he meets the absolutely lovable lovely Tom McCourt and he he doesn't have his phone on him so he's safe because he has a cat Rafe at home and the cat messed up his plans so he was fortunately saved by the cat I want to talk about Tom a moment and how he's described because it's such a point about how like delicate and well put together he is did that stand out to either of you I mean was it like the book trying to say hey 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 he's gay uh, no, I didn't get the uh, that he was gay until they're at his house and he makes the comment of, you know, I'm safe with her, right? Okay. In regards to I the, didn't the... either. And then I felt dumb because I'm like, oh, It's duh. super obvious yeah. from the beginning. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny because I didn't think that 
at all. Like, from the moment he's introduced almost. He wears spectacles. It, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're called spectacles. He doesn't Exa- wear glasses. No, it's I, I forget what exactly <laughs> it is he says or does. And I'm like, it's pretty obvious that he's at least coded as gay. Mm-hmm. But also it's not really brought up in a means of like, he doesn't, he's not like flamboyant. He doesn't act stereotypically gay. It's just like, you're like, okay, I think this guy's gay. And then when they finally do, he's like, mm-hmm. I'm safe with her. You know that? And Clay goes, huh? Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) And I thought it was kind of actually like a nice to be that it's like, it's such not a deal. Yeah, it wasn't made a thing. It's just Mm -hmm. who he is. Yeah. It's so who it's written so much as who he is that I almost didn't bring it up and Mm. actually went back in my notes and I added it and I only added it because I want to stop and say, Tom, this character who is probably my favorite character of this book, maybe Alice, it's it's mm. really hard, is a gay guy. And we just don't have enough gay characters in our favorite horror things. So, Absolutely yes, true. Thank you. <laughs> right. At least in King. Like, you want gay horror. Yeah. Go read Clive well, Yeah, there's. <laughs> <laughs> That's just us, I think. Yeah. So Tom and Clay watch as the city is falling apart and people run through it, attacking each other, just sort of haphazardly. And Clay wants to stay and help one of the pixies, which it's funny because as he was doing that, like I'm thinking, no, lost cause, don't. (laughs) And and in real life, that would be the normal reaction. You'd be like, oh my gosh, this poor kid, I need to help her. And Tom is also like, hey man, we got to get out of here. We got to get somewhere safe. Planes are crashing around them. They hear sirens. There's smoke. It's just total chaos. Did I imagine this, or am I misremembering that a tank shows up at one point? Is that just my imagination? Or does the escalation go that (laughs) quickly that fast? Mm -hmm. I love that. (laughs) Clay, I'm only going to mention this because his portfolio, his artwork is very important to him. It's the originals. He has copies. Mm -hmm. But uh, the the phoner that you mentioned, Ben, they're called phoners, by the way, eventually. Very cool name. Very king thing. They This guy attacks, he attacks Tom and Clay saves him by thrusting his portfolio, you know, in front of the knife as the guy is coming down to strike. And it cuts through into his characters. And I kind of, that would be like if I was walking with from the library or the bookstore and I had a book and somebody attacked somebody and I used it to save them and be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's worse than you said a library. No, that's like if uh, someone came in and attacked I don't want to even think about that, Ben. <laughs> and you used one of your first editions because it's that precious to him. You guys would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> no, I mean, I wouldn't save you. <laughs> <laughs> They have a fun, a fun, I meant to say a run-in. They, <laughs> they have a fun time <laughs> fun at a hotel <laughs> with a neat guy they love. No, they, they have a run-in with a cop and he finishes off the phoner. I thought that they realized what was going on rather quickly. And, and maybe this is attributed to Clay being a, an artist and being so observant, but they warn the cop, hey, you and your cop pals don't use the phone, use the radios because they were all using the phone. Mm. Did you guys kind of buy that? immediately and again i think maybe this is a 2006 2021 thing that they would immediately be like oh it's the phones i feel like i would have had to see somebody normal that i know go to that while using a phone for me to make that connection that quickly yeah i don't know if i would have noticed until later when they're like walking on the street and they just see phones Mm -hmm. destroyed and like trampled all over the ground then i'd be like huh 
I think there might be a correlation here. But then again, in sheer panic, uh, I feel like I'd not be the smartest. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, Clay, Clay and Tom are keeping a really cool head. Yeah. They are like immediately like post-apocalypse. All right, let's, let's go. Let's, let's do, do it. it. So they decide to go to Clay's hotel because it's not far from the commons. And on the way, they run into a scared teenage girl. And as soon as they try to talk to her, she's like backing off, not interested. And they get to the hotel doors. They're locked. And Clay is like, ah, shucks. Well, I guess we got to have a different plan. And Tom's got his his head to the window looking in. He sees like a dead body, but he doesn't really see anything else. He's like, uh, no, you're a paying guest. And we are getting in here. So he's so he's he's screaming through the door. Hey, this guy is a paying guest and (laughs) and I'm his friend. I'm his guest. And you better let us in or we're going to break the door open. They're making the most noise. (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess is a testament to like how mindless the phone crazies are that they're not coming running to this. Well, there's also lots of noise happening all over the city. Yeah. So maybe that's kind of. Masking. Constant intermittent explosions. And sirens and people screaming. So now we meet our hotel clerk, Mr. Riccardi, who is not a smooth operator. God. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to wait as long as I How long were you going to pause until one of us got it? Forever. (laughs) 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 So he makes a bad first impression on them. He had to be threatened, of course, to open the doors. Which I think is actually really understandable. But he he gives in and then he sees the girl lurking kind of behind them. And he's like, everyone but that defenseless child can come. (laughs) Well, she (laughs) looks scary. They get in and they close and lock it again before Mm -hmm. she shows up. Also, she's literally covered in blood. Yeah. Pounding on the door and looking behind her as though she's being chased. Well, but he says that before she does all of that. Mm. So... He's just a dick. <laughs> he is a dick. Yes. Yeah. He, he's basically described as being this like prissy, gossipy, cowardly person. And he probably is some of that. Yeah. But we come to find out he's also just a really terrified person who's not going to be one of those people who can handle something like this yeah. and respond well. He's, he's basal faulty is what he is. Don't worry about it. That's a joke for me. <laughs> So, as you said, Ben, they are quickly interrupted by this girl who's changed her mind because someone's after her. So she's beating on the doors. I really liked, again, Clay was like, unlock the doors or I'm going to stab you, man. And Tom's like, there's no time for that. I'm yeah. just going to break this Tom open. <laughs> is a fucking man of action. <laughs> yeah, he is. Not always effective action. <laughs> uh, because the way he defends off, defends off this phone crazy is by trying to throw a chair through the front doors, <laughs> but the legs land on either side of the center divider. So and he just like baps the zombie on the face with the <laughs> chair leg. It's a comedy. It's great. It's hilarious. This well, is a Three Stooges book. It is. And you might be right because of Clay's wild zinger. <laughs> do, do you remember what that was or do I have to... Yeah, you, oh, I mean, God. you're Please taking care of it. all of the very, very uh, funny lines yeah. Yeah. this episode. Oh, no, this is wild, guys. Clay is trying to distract this big, burly construction worker guy from murdering this teenager. And he's like, I, you know, I said the first thing that came to mind. And clearly it was the first thing. I fucked your mama and she was one dry hump. And it works. Fucking <laughs> nailed it. Nailed him. Got him. Zing. I, I did like this guy's death scene, though. 
First, I do want to point out that that's not the only time Clay says something just dumb as hell (laughs) for no apparent reason. I hate his his comic book characters dialogue. I hated it. Oh, yeah, they're all (laughs) terrible. It's it's like Shimi, but worse. It's the (laughs) worst. Okay, this guy's death scene. He is crazy. He's attacking Alice. Alice is fallen. And Clay has this knife, which up to this point, he's been saying, like, I don't know if I can use this. And he only kind of does. He just is holding it out. He just (laughs) holds it out in front of him, which works because the phone zombie just walks into the blade of the knife in the neck area. And then dies. I I told you guys this before we started, but I listened through this whole thing so I could gauge where we should stop. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't before. So like, I actually do know the whole story now. And then I re-listened to it. I've just been kind of going back and getting my notes. And I didn't really recognize, like I appreciate it a little more now after re, 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 re listening, because I'm seeing all these little things that are supporting observations and conclusions that they make that seem like, well, that's convenient. How'd you just leap to that? It's it's all these fine details that I think our character Clay is picking up on. It's just not written so overtly that that's what he's doing, that it's very easy to miss and just think it's kind of a quick, not so thorough tale. Like, uh, like what? This part, even just that they are so at the start, obliviously crazy that they're mm-hmm. they're not attacking with purpose. They're kind of mindless you can hide from them. Yeah, and, and there are a bunch okay. of details yeah. that continue to come out that you're like, and you got there how? Right. <laughs> and like that justifies if we we should move at night. Right. When yeah. Okay. Every horror yeah. movie instinct says, don't go out at night. <laughs> well, I like the, the they ha- lampshade this, actually. The, a certain point where Clay, uh, this is after Alice has joined the group, mm-hmm. and I think they're still in the hotel, and Clay makes some generalization or some logical leap and Alice yells at him and goes don't say that there's literally no way you can know that Mm -hmm. and he's like oh shit yeah you're right (laughs) Uh, which I thought was great it's a great way to get around being like yeah they kind of get everything but I'm going to point out how ridiculous that (laughs) is yeah I thought that was cool so they rescue this girl, as you said, Ben. Her name is Alice Maxwell. She's 16 years old. And at first, I, I really liked her introduction because I thought she was very like Judith O'Day Barbara. And mm. very, you know, after like a couple of hours later that night, even Alice sort of comes into her own and she becomes more the Patricia Tallman's Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. Oh, I had it's, not. It, the, I thought you were remake. talking about Barb from It. No, she she's like this catatonic heroine who mm-hmm. you know has to be punched to her senses by the men Yikes. and that's the original and in the remake which tom savini did uh, patricia's portrayal of her or tom's direction or a combination of both she's the leader she's just like i'm a badass bitch and i'm taking charge so <laughs> alice sort of kind of has that journey very quickly and i just it, it's very night of living dead too of she be oh yeah the this book wears its influences oh, uh yeah. pretty yeah. pretty openly i'm digging it uh, up to the point where they actually uh are like hey you like uh you like neil stevenson and george romero they talk yeah, about george yeah. romero. George romero. nothing more natural than two 15 year olds talking about how much they love snow crash like <laughs> no i'm sorry 
So we we find out as Alice starts to open up that she lost her mom. She had to karate chop her to get away from her because her mom went crazy, killed a cabbie, and she escaped. We also find out that Clay is almost 300 miles from home. And another thing I, I want to talk about briefly before we kind of wrap up what happens in the hotel, they don't spend much time at the hotel. And I thought that was interesting because it's a really cool set. Like as mm-hmm. they're initially in it, you know, Riccardi's explaining that he shut everything down and they hear thumping and it's like, you're just waiting for somebody to bust through and for them to have mm-hmm. a problem. Who knows how many people are up there? It's so atmospheric. You do get such a sense of the like trapped feeling that they mm-hmm. have. I-, I love it. But there's one problem I have with this section. Th- there's about one page where Clay says the fra- phrase, they're like a bug trapped between a window and the screen three times, <laughs> twice to himself, and then once out loud, like he thought of this, and he's like, that's fucking clever. I gotta tell these guys. They're gonna really... <laughs> it made really me laugh this. so hard. <laughs> it's like a bug trap between a window and a screen. Fuck, that's good. <laughs> Tom, Tom, listen to this. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a lot of potential in this setting mm-hmm. for tension and spooky stuff. Not going to happen, though. Before they move on, a few important things do happen. Clay spends a lot of time thinking about his kid, Johnny, hoping he didn't take his phone to school a reasonable hope because it's kind of a new thing to him and he's not good about taking it. They're, of course, hearing the city falling apart around them, which kind of helps feed into Clay's argument of why they need to go. Because mm-hmm. Tom's like, no, you're crazy. We're safe. He's like, yeah, for how long? When's the last time a city burned down? Do you hear those planes <laughs> crashing? Like, this is not a good situation. We also find out that after Clay, I thought very wisely wanted to check out whether the landlines work so mm-hmm. he's grilling mr riccardi finds out that mr riccardi hates his wife or maybe she actually oh, hates him man no that was so sad okay question oh. for you about this so he's he's explaining yeah i called 911 they're like tough shit lock all the doors i called my wife and she's like please come home stuff's going crazy i'm scared and he said well the police told me to stay inside and she's like you piece of crap mm-hmm. <laughs> you coward and i i don't know i had a at first, I was like, you coward, Mr. Riccardi. And then I thought, if it were me, and Devin and I were separated during the apocalypse, yes, I would want him to be home, like come home and be with me, but I would be so terrified about his mm-hmm. safety on the journey home that I would probably be like, you stay there, I'm coming. And he'd be like, no, idiot, I'm coming. And we just meet in the middle. What about that you guys? That sounds right. Do you have an apocalypse? Riccardi is a coward, though. He is. I mean, There's but- no doubting that. Yeah. Yeah, they say the line, uh, what is it? Um, well, after... What happens to him, Clay thinks, you know, this is uh, the face of a man who would rather die than change, Mm -hmm. which I totally get. I don't know if I've told this joke on the podcast before, but back when I was still attempting stand up, I had a joke. The day I realized that I was truly an adult was the day I thought about my zombie survival plan and updated it from grab a bug out bag and head to the woods to just die. (laughs) (laughs) Surviving a zombie apocalypse. That sounds exhausting. No, thank you. (laughs) See, my mom and I have a specific path that we've agreed that we would take to each other. 
Nice. And then we have plans for my dad and his wife and Devin's parents because they're at different levels of, you know, um, some in a location that might be a little more dangerous because there are more people, some kind right. of further out, some more self-sufficient, others not as much. And so. So you've got a Winchester. Yeah. So what, what's yours, Josh? Burn my neighborhood down. Okay. Be the only house in the surrounding area. <laughs> I have a, so one of I my have friends is one of your neighbors. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> He'll be dead. <laughs> or at least I'll assume, but I'll have a, a full 360 view of everything around me because there will be no, uh, there's no way they'll sneak up on me. Uh, I can't see what could possibly go wrong <laughs> with burning down everything around your house. Seems perfectly safe. <laughs> So Clay, kind of like me, and I assume you guys, takes to Tom and Alice right away. Yes. Yeah. And he eventually starts to come around to Mr. Riccardi in a way that I, I appreciated. He, Mr. Riccardi softens a little bit over their very brief time in the hotel. He shows some humanity. And Clay, the reason I like this is that Clay thinks, it's either here or a little bit later, but he thinks, you know, oh man, I, I feel so bad for hating this guy because, you know, he's coming around and maybe... Maybe if people had a chance to come around, they would be better people. They would do what's right. Mm. They just some people just need a little more time to get there and do that. And I thought that that was a really interesting theme for this book, considering the rest of it and and what ends up happening and more of the phoners versus the normies theme mm-hmm. that's throughout this that we kind of get more into. Yeah, there's a, the the very nihilistic. It's the opposite of the very nihilistic conversation they have later on in the book mm-hmm. about the nature of people yeah. and where they stand on the food chain that we are the top of the 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 food chain because we're the meanest what do they call it? The meanest most murdering motherfuckers in the world. <laughs> And that these the the phone people are now at the top because they've erased the part that makes us human and not want to murder everyone. And I was like, that's mm. a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that. So Clay really is hellbent on getting to his son and wife. He wants Tom and Alice to come with him because there's really no point for them not to. Like, there, there's nothing anywhere for anybody so why not stick together if you found and i think that's a quick way to find out if you can trust and rely on somebody (laughs) when you're in a crisis like that together seeing how they respond to it and they want mr riccardi to come with too and he's like nope i'm going down with the ship he's like i'm gonna hang here oh dang oh (laughs) josh come on (laughs) so clay tom and alice go to get some food and supplies because they're going to go to Tom's house. He lives like in a suburb, I think, not too yeah. far away. And they decide to go back and try to convince Mr. Riccardi one last time. And Clay also realized for as precious as his portfolio is to him, he left it there. So he has to go back and get it. Josh, since you uh, had that really great line, why don't you tell us what happens when <laughs> Clay goes back to the hotel? Clay goes in by himself and it's eerily quiet and he makes his way into the office and he sees Mr. Riccardi hanging from a lighting fixture with a bag over his head taking uh taking his way his own way out which makes sense for the character. Yeah. Like uh, the the second they left him, I didn't think they would go back, but I legitimately thought like this guy killed himself as soon as he was alone. I didn't think that until they were going back and I'm like, "Oh, they're only going back so we can see that he killed yeah. himself." Yeah. <laughs> Dang. So the three set off to Tom's house and everyone, not just them, but like normal people are walking in the dark with flashlights, kind of like zombies in reverse. And we run into our very first 
super king character, the <laughs> Bible thumper lady. Yeah. It threw me when he was like, thousands of people are walking across this bridge. When you think about how many people are in Boston mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then making their way across, you're so used to these these post-apocalypse things being immediately yeah. you're by yourself or that you see a few survivors. Rarely do you see thousands of people in one place. Yeah, they, they call the, or he thinks that they're they're refugees now yeah. uh, fleeing this city. And yeah, this this sequence of them just walking down the highway is so the road like mm-hmm. uh it hasn't gotten that bad yet but you know that it's bad yeah it it's weird so in this scene and then later when they're walking again after they leave tom's house we meet a shitty character or a group of characters and then we meet some people who are just you know okay they're mm. just fine like our characters yeah king does an amazing job in just a short span illustrating how quickly the rules of society are just gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, My favorite bit is they come across these two guys just having a fist fight over a keg of beer. (laughs) You mean the true hero of the story? (laughs) (laughs) I do love this fucking character. I wanted to follow him because it's just this dude finally beats the shit out of the other guy and the other guy runs off like a fucking dog, like two dogs fighting over meat. And the guy like stands up and he's all bloodied, but he sees... Clay and Tom and immediately like squares up for a second, which is terrifying because it's like this guy is obviously made for yeah. this. He's a Celtics fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's made to fuck someone up. Uh, and he's just like immediately once he knows they're not a threat, he's like, oh, hey, guys. Yeah. It's <laughs> so great. Although I like that Alice is like, does that belong to you? <laughs> <laughs> like it does now because <laughs> I'm holding it. Yeah, oh, there's there's this guy no get society now. There's no belonging anymore. It's ne- now and later. And right now I have this beer. So back to Bible Thumper Lady for a minute. This is mm. a part that I was like, is this a king book? What kind of king book is this? Because you think it's going to be, you know, kind of like the Lady from the mm. Mist, like that very mm. infuriating character. Yeah. But instead, Clay Coldcoxer. It's so great. It it's it what you want to happen to all those characters uh-huh. happens. The note I literally said is that the la- uh, this lady with the Bible will surely be a nut job. Tom jumps in right away. He's read the Mist. <laughs> <laughs> and then I afterwards immediately thank you, Mister King. Because it's exactly what you want to happen. It, it was that was another instance. I was like, "Oh, Tom's gay," because he really goes off about organized religion. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah I get that." Uh, my favorite part about this part with the Bible thumping lady is it not only demonstrates, like I said, how much things have changed. It demonstrates our main character's state of mind. Because I don't mm-hmm. think up to this point, Clay's described as a kind of person that would punch an old woman. No. No, not well. He even as it happens, he tries to pull back because he's like, "Oops, I I done, I gone done it again." Well, he's trying so hard to get back to his Mm -hmm. son, and Alice is sort of his surrogate son too. So I think he's just putting all of that. Mm -hmm. Like he would, he probably would punch her for his son. Oh, absolutely. So, no, I I agree. It's mm -hmm. just it shows how much like unbelievable stress they're all under. You really have to pay attention to what's happening in this book. I think to appreciate it. And, and I don't know, sorry, that's like jumping to an episode we haven't even recorded yet. <laughs> it. I just had a hard I, time getting into this book. And then... Really? Yeah. I was it, in immediately. I actually Googled, like, is this a King book? 
<laughs> it seems so king adjacent, but not quite. It, every time it goes, it, you think it's going to be like really that king style you're used to. It pulls back at the last minute. It's because it's comedy. I well, one thousand percent agree. I I didn't have the words for it, but yeah, I I completely mm-hmm. agree. It this feels. Yeah, King of Jason is a great yeah. way to put it. I mean, obviously he wrote it. That's like a stupid thought, but it, it stuck out to me so much that I'm just like, am, am I crazy? Am I missing something? No, it, it is a definite, like, different feel. And that's, I think, why I gravitated to be like, because the first time I read this book, I just remember being very confused by it. <laughs> <laughs> but this time, like, once I latched onto that idea of like, this is, is this supposed to be as funny as I'm finding mm-hmm. it? And just let myself be like, laugh at the parts that you think are are funny and it made the book make sense mm-hmm. he was like the stand is great but what if it was way more fun yeah, what, what if it was just crazy yeah. crazy yeah. crazy all the time what if we cut out all the long parts of the stand <laughs> well and this does what, what, if, I we love zombie, about, what if we gave zombies superpowers <laughs> what i love about king's post-apocalypse in overall between the stand and this is I hate the post-apocalypse so that is, you know, immediately humans fighting humans to the death for things mm-hmm. where it, largely people are just left to themselves as long as you are not fucking with what they have or what they're doing. And that's the post-apocalypse stuff that I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, in like in the, especially in the later parts as they're learning the rules of this new society uh, that are just being passed by word of mouth. That part was so cool that, uh, mm-hmm. th- when they find out, uh, they run into just some random old man who's like, you know about the shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what? And, yeah, when you find a house to sleep in during the day, uh, because they find out these these zombies, these phone uh, people only move during the day. He says, when you find a house, put your shoes outside. That way, if you come on a house and there are shoes outside, you know, don't go you in there because you'll get shot. <laughs> That's and they great. won't steal your shoes. That's great world building. Yeah. I, I yeah. love the the feeling of old school word of mouth. Uh, it's very neat. They're playing telephone. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. That wasn't a that pun. Wasn't, it wasn't, that was just a real statement. Yeah, I, I know, know. But it just. <laughs> the point is it could have been. Deserve, I didn't deserve that. I, I, <laughs> I'm on Seattle's side with this. <laughs> Let's just very briefly, because again, we don't spend much time here. Although. Didn't know we weren't going to Tom's house, which could also be another cool set. You could mm-hmm. barricade yourself in there. We go there. It's, of course, dark and kind of creepy. Alice finds this baby sneaker just lying discarded on the sidewalk in front of Tom's house. She keeps that and it becomes like another character. It's it's her book. talisman. Mm-hmm. It's uh, she she puts all of her bad feelings into this yeah. this tiny shoe. So they kind of clean up. They have some food and rehydrate and are are just talking about what's been going on. And this is where they're trying to figure out exactly what the phoners are doing, what their plan of action should be. Clay, again, is begging them to come with him. And, of course, they're going to go, but they're sort of reluctant. In the morning, though, I thought this the scene that opens up was <laughs> really, really cool. It's so crazy. They're in the kitchen and... They see the back gate into Tom's backyard is now busted open, and there's a guy who's just eating pumpkin. He and they notice that he used the wheel of a wheelbarrow back there to break it open. So they're like, hey, they're using tools. 
that in a can't very be short great. amount of time. Yeah, yeah. And there are two other crazies that, and they're not attacking and killing each other like they were before. Oh, I'm sorry. Continuity issue. The old guy falls to his knees and he groans like he's in pain. They are described as not feeling pain for the rest of the book. Huh. Hmm. Maybe it was just a groan that. and the pain no, was yeah, they rejection. Say, they say it in the book that yeah. it's a groan of pain. Yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah. I, I did catch the part where uh, he falls to his knees and the guy eating the pumpkin just smashes his head in over a wheelbarrow wheel. Yeah. Yeah. That. Or no, he just snaps his neck. Yeah, he yeah. snaps his right. neck. He gestures, hey. Like he j- makes a gesture, <laughs> hey, you can open that pumpkin on this wheelbarrow. And as he gets nearby, he breaks it open and then he snaps the guy's neck so he can eat his pumpkin. In a normal King book, we would have been we would have been at the hotel for like three days. We would have been <laughs> at Tom's house for days. We would have spent fifty pages in the neighbor's house. Let's talk about that gruesome scene. Oh, that shit is so cool. That Tom's like, I don't have guns, but I know a house that does. <laughs> And they make this plan that they're going to head over to that house and get any guns they can find and then start their trip. I have one issue with this scene. Yeah. They go over to the house and this section starts with them staring into the kitchen and they're like aghast at what they've seen. And there's this very well written description of what they're seeing And just from them describing, they find the woman of this family. Nickerson. Yes. Laying on the floor with her head blown off, like, and a gun by her side. And her daughter laying with a phone next to her and her skull caved in. And just from, like, the description, you piece together Mm -hmm. what happened here. And then he goes on to just say what happened. (laughs) And that drove me insane because you didn't need to. It was such a neat bit of writing that Mm -hmm. you're like using the same deduction that the characters are using. It's really cool. And then he's like, I could see how it happened. The girl went nuts and her mom beat her to death. It's like, okay, I got that. You're wasting my time now. (laughs) Watching everybody see that and have to take a step back Mm -hmm. And he sends Alice with Tom to search the rest of the house while he searches the kitchen. What I did like about that moment where he pieces it together is it lends credence to the almost Sherlock Holmes observation skills that we've demonstrated from Clay that Mm -hmm. we haven't dove into. And we've just been able to take his word for, yeah, he's because he takes in Mm -hmm. all the details. That's what he sees. I thought this was simply taking the time since we have a quiet space where nothing's happening show the audience how he puts it together hmm. as maybe what i what that was that's, Fair. yeah that's an interesting take on it too but the house is full of guns yeah full but, of so many illegal guns and tom is psyched out of yeah. his mind he's <laughs> hilarious i anticipated the dad to come home or be there and for there to be an issue but no the, other than having to see that carnage they have it pretty easy mm-hmm. getting what they need and getting out except and, they gotta leave poor raf behind that was that would shockingly that was, sad. That was tough. I would, just take them. <laughs> That's a good point. Like, why not? Yeah, works for Kojak. See, in a in a typical King book, this cat would be a character. <laughs> okay. Wait, there might be a cat chapter later. Don't don't tell me that. In, in a King book, this cat would be a Billy Bumbler. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oi! All right, they continue their trek across. Ake. 
New England, making their way into New Hampshire. And they continue, as we've kind of already touched on, to have encounters with other travelers. So they're learning more. People are sharing information in a really astounding way that is happening very quickly for not having cell phones. It's pretty cool. And they they come across this family. I don't know if they're a biological family or a makeshift apocalypse mm-hmm. family, but it kind of takes the wind out of Clay's sails a little bit. And it, I was a little frustrated with Clay during this scene. They've joined a highway where there's tons of people also walking, and there's a man and a woman, and they each have a stroller. A cart. They're, they're or, like shopping yeah, carts. Sorry, yeah, they're... They each have a shopping cart with a child in them and their supplies. And it seemed like they're just kind of making conversation. And then the wife, presumably wife, gets very defensive about anything happening. The The wheel on the cart breaks. And he's like, oh, you know, ha- hand us something while you well, fix it. Well, he says hand us a kid. Yeah, he specifically <laughs> asks to carry a child. The most bulky, inconvenient thing in the cart. After also, that's the one nice. thing you're not going to ask a parent and be like, hey, <laughs> I want to help out. Oh, well, when you say it, that's horrible. <laughs> what was the voice? What was the voice I used? Hi, it's me, the Dairy Public Radio creep. Oh, no. I it's the this. apocalypse. Give me your child. <laughs> I'm helping. <laughs> Gross. My new favorite character. That's a good, the Dairy Public Radio Of, of creep all of our great. great characters we do on this podcast. <laughs> oh, like that completely wiped out everything <laughs> in my head. He asks for the kid though. After she she's getting uncomfortable because I get it. It's the apocalypse. You're tired, worn out. Some people are shitty. Some people are okay. You don't know which of that category these people fall under. And they're talking to you. It's like just leave me the fuck alone. And he doesn't. He keeps mm-hmm. going. And then when legitimately he could offer help, okay, fine. But it's she's made it clear she does not want your help. And then he tries to take a kid. So <laughs> Clay is a very dense in the scene. He does not use his skills of observation to observe. She wants him to fuck off. Yeah, the the standoff that they have, not super necessary. No, because she pulls a gun on him. Mm-hmm. And then Alice and, and Tom you know immediately pull guns on good, her. Good for her. I take her as my my <laughs> apocalypse mom. Like I told you to fuck you, off, you won't. I'm gonna shoot you. If no, you don't absolutely. Get Remember that when you're drawing your three at Christmas. <laughs> All right, so they are. They have that run in with the two guys. Who are like, hey, the shoe thing. So pay attention to that. <laughs> and and it's nearing daylight, and they are coming through this town, and they're not seeing any available houses. Every house has shoes, and they're they're starting to get a little stressed. And they're hearing this music playing, and there are jokes about music that. I, I didn't get uh, th- all of them. It, this is the same thing with any King book is every character, regardless of, of their age, age. <laughs> has the same musical taste as Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, so they hear this music and they come across this prep school, Gaten Academy. Let's talk about their introduction to Gaten Academy, to Charles, Ardai and Jordan. They come across the two of them at Gaten Academy as they are offering shelter to another group of travelers. They're kind of like carnies. Kind like they of? have a pitch. <laughs> yeah. The the pitch is basically, hey, we'll give you a place to stay, but you got to come see something first. Which, to me, I, I'm in. Yeah. Depending Show on me your a level thing. of weariness, like the lady earlier, like you're either going to be into that or you're going to be like, no. I, it also I can't depends. 
it depends on so much how many people you're traveling with. Because they're not... I would be wary because, like, it's the apocalypse and cannibalism is a thing. <laughs> but, uh, granted, it's day two. <laughs> probably very few people. Yeah, probably not th- there yet. Probably not super threatening to see 13-year-old boy and an old, old man. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could take him. <laughs> and so I'd be like, yeah, show me your thing and give me a place show to Show me stay. your thing. Show Th- me your thing. That's what they said. They're like, you got to come see a thing if you want to. Well, okay. Yeah, but phrasing, man. Well, <laughs> come on. Like, I think I'm I game said for it. whatever. I think if I phrased Give me a safe it. place to it's, stay. It's the end of the world. Show me that thing. It just sounds bad coming out of Josh's mouth. <laughs> okay. It's the end of the world. Show me that thing. All right, so they they agree to the trade of shelter for seeing this old man's thing. (laughs) And let's talk about what that thing is. That thing is a stadium-sized soccer field, head-to-toe, (laughs) nuts-to-butts, with phone crazies. I'm ashamed that I chuckled at that. (laughs) This part was... And nothing for me. I know. (laughs) (laughs) This part was really fascinating, though, because they... We find out here that the phoners have to recharge like a phone. They have to like. Oh, I didn't even get that. Yeah. That, <laughs> in the day, they, they have to plug in and recharge. And we find out they they have like these powers. They can power these boom boxes. Okay. Cell phones, 2006. Fine, whatever. Boom. Boom boxes. <laughs> so 2000 and late. You are correct. <laughs> Yeah, it's. <laughs> oh, we, we also didn't mention that several times throughout the whole beginning. They'll see a random person carrying oh, a boombox. Yeah. yeah, so we've when seen they start them around when they start migrating. Did we even discuss that? They're no. flocking. Yeah. yeah, we were gonna. T- I was gonna talk about that because they really dive into that more with Jordan and True. Charles. Yeah, so yeah, we see them like carrying these like stereos and all this in retrospect too they notice because they don't really talk about it when they see it happen but when they're discussing all of it they realize that you know they're unplugged obviously because they're walking with them Mm -hmm. but there's faint music coming from them so i'm not gonna we're not gonna get fully into this but i assume i have a theory Mm -hmm. uh that i'll talk about at the end of episode two hopefully if i remember i there are definitely episodes of this podcast where i say i'll talk about this next episode and never do (laughs) um but i want to say this about this the first time i read this i was like they have psychic powers that's stupid i've turned around on that i I think it's really rad i think if you're gonna if this would have just been a regular zombie story like i expected I, I think it'd be less interesting mm-hmm, because sure. this is just insane. But the phone crazies are are able to manipulate and control boomboxes using their mind. Only one boombox has a CD in it. Mm-hmm. All of the others are empty. What does that remind you of? Tommy Knockers. Fuck it. I'm going all in. <laughs> this book is the Tommy Knockers prequel. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. The, I didn't even think of the Tommy pulse, Knockers. whatever it was, yeah. set off the evolution of humanity into this new species of hyper-violent, telepathic monsters that are a hive mind. What could be the sequel? 
they could have come back or like other Tommy be, knockers could be like, oh no, it could we be know both. how to get you. It, I mean, it could be a real uh, Battlestar Galactica and it's just a loop of oh. these things coming to different planets. And uh. You know, I just love things that loop, I guess. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> what, so what did you guys think of our two new companions? I think they're great. Were, were either of you <laughs> expecting the the shitty companion at any point for there to be like a guy where you're like you're not supposed to like someone that's thwarting things or causing trouble i mean we kind of got that with the the guy in the hotel yeah i I think that's as shitty as we really get yeah Yeah. no the second that they introduced the head especially i was like no i love this guy (laughs) uh he's he's so much like the like wacky professor from the dark half yes he's Mm -hmm. just like a colorful character this old man who's like welcome to my school i'm dumbledore (laughs) (laughs) please blow up all of these uh yeah people for me he doesn't just want to show he's not just showing them this hive (laughs) yeah he's not just like isn't this crazy okay (laughs) bye He has a plan. He thinks that they need to destroy them. Okay, I'm I'm not just making this up. I Mm -hmm. immediately was like, no, this is a terrible... And maybe it's because of the I Am Legend Mm -hmm. part. I felt terrible about this idea immediately. I was like, good call. Oh, That's smart. It it just felt gross instantly. Did Ben, did you have a... I I don't know why I felt that way. I don't feel like it necessarily I like mean, foreshadowed that well to, to talk about this we do kind of have to just say so if you don't want a spoiler for the book i am legend skip ahead but in the book i am legend the title of the book is a reference to this man is alive in the post-apocalypse and there are all these monsters that live underground he's and the he only hunts them he's human the alive only human left and at the end he finds out that these monsters that the rest of the humans turned into they just evolved into something else. They're living in a society underground, and it's different from human society, but they consider him the monster because he's the one killing all of them. He's their boogeyman. Yes. And this is basically the exact same thing where these people are the last of humanity, and, like, the way the pulse happened and the effect was really bad, but now that the pulse people the phone people exist i mean they're just a new organism well jordan gets into that he's our 12 year old computer whiz yeah. in 2006 and so he's he's talking about them being like computers that have mm-hmm. been given a, a code and there's maybe a virus in it and once it again caused, snow crash it's snow crash <laughs> it caused an issue and that issue is kind of resolving itself. So maybe the pulse wasn't supposed to happen quite the way it mm-hmm. happened, but they are going to continue to evolve as the software fixes and re- rewrites itself. Yeah. It, it's a matter of that. There's no real morality mm-hmm. in simple survival. The Yeah. And the, and the computer stuff was a, a little more, somehow it seemed less technophobic than the phone stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I bought into it a little more as like, yeah, this is kind of some foresight, like thinking ahead into how technology might work and evolve. And I, I liked that. Okay, so they make this plan. They are going to torch the phone crazies because they they don't have enough bolts to shoot them. Too dangerous to just stab them all. Yeah, they go Again, out. We go back to me and Salem's lot. Frisbee that baby into the daylight. It's, well, the daylight's not. Well, <laughs> it, it's the same basic principle. 
if when something is when a monster is defenseless, you can kill it. However, you take all the time yes. in the world. They're utterly defenseless. But we don't know. That's true. You if can, don't say that. You can't possibly know that's true. <laughs> They kind of explore that, but mm-hmm. they don't fully investigate it because they poke one of them and they take his hat and his hand. It's like they're on autopilot, very much like the vampires in Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll crawl back into where they were if you pull mm-hmm. them out. Okay, so they they have a little bit of a difficult time enacting their plan, but eventually they they do use these two propane tankers and they they blow shit up. <laughs> so fucking hilarious uh, this is not before though they travel to a nearby gas station and run into two phone crazies who do something real weird that shit blew my mind <laughs> because they're fighting the two phone crazies are fighting over a box of twinkies <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> and uh tom and clay are inside the gas station and the they feel like Energy? electricity yeah. around mm-hmm. them, secret electricity going all around them. Mm-hmm. And there's ashes in an ashtray that starts swirling. And this all this energy is just coming out of nowhere. And then the one crazy gives her a Twinkie <laughs> that she shoves in her mouth package and everything. Also great. And it all stops. And, and he's like, we are not going to tell anyone mm-hmm. about this. Which is so dumb. Especially so dumb. after this conversation that you're having about... Your observations about what's happening and what what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. And also, I wonder if the head would have reconsidered his request and his plan, because he's the one kind of driving this, that they kill them all if he Mm -hmm. knew about what they saw. But of course, they keep it to themselves. He doesn't. They torch them all. Alice loses her sneaker. It's saying they torch them all is putting it so mildly. I said they blow stuff up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It it erupts into a hellfire of raining blood. Tom gets his eyebrows burned off. There there are chunks of human flesh and bodies slapping the pavement. It's raining blood. It is apocalyptic. The way they do it is the dumbest fucking way. (laughs) They just park propane tankers on in the middle of this field and then clay shoots one with a revolver with uh dumb dumb bullets in it if you're within shooting di- like revolver mm-hmm. distance of a propane tank don't blow it up i like how tom was like did you know that was gonna happen <laughs> this is yes <laughs> this is another fucking comedy movie moment yeah. where they all stop and they're like We made a mistake. (laughs) We shouldn't have done that at all. And Clay does recognize that they actually did make a mistake. He has a bad feeling about what they did immediately. As soon as he kind of recovers from almost getting exploded, he's like, oh, no, we should not have done that. So they're they're all sitting around. They're talking about their next move. They need to leave. And Clay feels that very strongly. And the head's like, yeah, unless we have a car. I can't come with you guys. And this creates a problem because Jordan is this kid that's that's spent, you know, these this last week with this guy. They've been taking care of each other. Mm. He's very close to him. He has nobody. And so he does not he refuses to leave without the head. It's a little bit later. Clay is alone in the room. He's staying in with Tom and the head comes up and he's like, so you noticed earlier I was rubbing my chest. This good. This part killed me that i did not remember this part 
because the head during dinner starts rubbing his chest and asks for Zyrtec. Like he's like he has a history of heartburn. They're like, is your heart okay? And he's like, well, if the Zyrtec doesn't work, we'll know. <laughs> and they all part ways. And as Clay's in his room, he comes in and is like, looking really pale. And Clay asks him about his heart. And he's like, ah, you picked up on that, did you? Good. I'm killing myself later. Yeah, so that Jordan will leave. Because he knows that if he stays, Jordan's going to stay. It's so noble yeah. it, 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 and tragic. Like, it's so sad. That family put their kids in shopping carts. You can't put the head in a shopping cart? <laughs> also a good point. <laughs> He'd lose all his dignity. That's... It's 2006. Do segways exist yet? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, get that guy a segway. Come on. Just have a phone or, you know, power it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Be Michonne from The Walking Dead and have some uh, phoners yeah. on a change yeah. to power all like your electronics. Okay, we are, we are coming close to the end well, our end for this episode. The way this chapter wraps up, I thought was it, it just ramps up so hard. It's so cool. They they go to sleep. Clay keeps the head secret. He's like, "All right, man, your choice. I'll support you." And while they're asleep, they all have this shared dream. We don't know it's shared yet, but it's we get the dream through Clay. Mm-hmm. The dream is very. Surreal, not my favorite king dream sequence. It's, I'm gonna say it again. It is not a very king dream. Mm, I have a thought about that, but <laughs> I can't say it right now for Josh's sake. Oh no. Um, <laughs> the gist of it is they're in the middle of this giant field. Uh, he says not like the soccer field, but something similar, maybe a football field or something. And it is. He he says it's him, Tom, Jordan, and Alice. Alice are on these platforms and a figure comes out of the crowd and puts his hand over their heads. He says, even though that can't happen because they're on raised platforms, it does. Figure that out. (laughs) And as this figure comes and puts a hand over their heads, he says something in Latin, basically calls them insane. And then the crowd around the field repeats, do not touch. So curious. <laughs> and when they so wake up, they're surrounded. And fortunately, Clay is an artist, so he draws the Raggedy Man. I thought this was, this was interesting because he's like, hey, you all dreamt about, sorry, they call him the Raggedy Man. You all yes. dreamt about this guy in this torn up hooded Harvard sweatshirt, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a picture of what he looks like. Nobody had to draw a picture of Mother Abigail to know that they all (laughs) dreamt of Mother Abigail, but okay. They are surrounded, and as they are surrounded by phone crazies, the raggedy man is there. He's like the spokesperson. Literally, the way they reveal it, where they're like standing around, they're like, they're not attacking. What is going on? When they hear all the screams of normal people being murdered. Oh, that's after the raggedy. Mm, I'm talking beforehand when they're just like, trying to figure out and clay puts it together they had heard noise like ruffling outside the front door and they're like what are you doing he's like i'm gonna go check what they left us yes he makes the connection that they don't want them hurt they just want them to know that they can hurt them and they have a very interesting way of giving them the message that they want them to leave and go to cashawak and so the raggedy man is ahead of the head's plan. (laughs) 
He beats the head to what? the punch. I don't know. I was trying to find a creative way to say what? it. <laughs> I don't even know what you're trying to say. They use their psychic abilities to uh, uh, I yeah, make the head commit suicide, but not before doing something insane and terrifying, if you found that. And of course, Jordan is the one who of finds course, it because he's like, wait it. a minute, the head would have come down during all this ruckus if he was okay. And before Clay can stop him, he runs up and he starts screaming in a way that you don't scream when you just find an old man dead of a heart attack. Yeah, that misdirect had just hit me. Because uh, oh, we're going to find his dead body. He said he was going to take pills and he was going to be in mm-hmm. his bed. And they walk in and he is he has written the word insane in 14 different languages and then stabbed himself through the eye with his pen. Not what I was expecting to find. Nope. Didn't, didn't see it coming. But it- the raggedy man was really nice and gave Alice her sneaker back. So that was nice. Yeah, super nice. <laughs> so it, it's at this point, like I said uh, earlier, before we close out this episode, the first time I read this book, I didn't hate it, but I didn't care for it because once it reached about this part, I mean, it's pretty clear from the beginning because the before the book, there's a little blurb that says that said, you know, before the pul- morning of the pulse, there were this many people on Earth and by October, the world was over. Oh, I didn't get that in the audiobook. Oh, yeah, there's, like, just a a short, like, two sentences that just is like, oh, yeah, by October, the world's done. But it was at about halfway point where I'm like, how can this possibly end? What could possibly be the end game of this book? There's no way. It's bleak. Like, at this point, they are now very obviously done. Like, they are not, they can't hide, they can't run they're fucked. Yeah, if someone can enter your dreams, that's like another level of yeah. pursuit. That if if there's an enemy that can kill you by thinking about it too hard, mm-hmm. what can you yeah. do? But so what? What can you do, Josh? <laughs> How's the book end? Uh, um, explosions. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> that's right. my guess. At the end of this chapter, they are making their way. Clay is still like I. No matter what happens, I have to find my son. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be finishing the rest of Cell. For CM Alexander and Benjamin Graham, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, what good is the end of the world if you can't drive through a goddamn board fence? Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Cell Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. A very special thank you to our patron, Phil Thiessen, for picking Cell as part of our Patreon selection series. As always, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public, or send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out our Etsy store and Patreon page. Search Dairy Public Radio for both. And before I go, we have a lot of new patrons since I last did shoutouts, so I'd like to read those names off now and apologies in advance for any mispronunciations. A very special and heartfelt thank you to Jason Keene, Mitchell Robinson, Kieran McCoy, Molly Zaleski, Aubrey Dane, John Fidel, Mark David, Michael Riddle, Becky Street, Penelope Dia, John Woodford, Sean Weldon, Aaron, Amanda Pease, Michael Zitlini, Jared Hazelwood, Kevin Sundstrom, Michael Schaefer, Riley, 
Dan Elder, Rachel Jansen, Chuck Adams, Julia Marchesi, Bo Williams, Lacey Hansen, Josh Salinier, Michelle, Dee Dee Sharonford, Don Burr, Brad Hahn, Joel Jones, Amy Lawless, Casey Bauer, Bill Graham, Jennifer Dolge, Matt Kendall, Spanky, Lisa Kahn, Phil, Jeremy Marr, and Alicia Lillian. Wow, you guys, that is so many people. I cannot express our gratitude with mere words, so instead I'm going to continue to promise you that your support is allowing us to do a lot more stuff. Our live streams, our upcoming short film, and our upcoming YouTube series. And this is possible because of all of you. And for anyone not on Patreon, we also appreciate your support as you listen and tell others about us. No level of love any of you give us goes unnoticed or unappreciated. We love you guys. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.